Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express Network. Talk radio that informs. Talk radio that inspires. Talk radio that enlightens. Talk radio for us all. Hey, everybody. Um, I don't know what happened to our host, but we have Valencia Lyle Saunders with you, the best invention ever. She's live with us, and we were just speaking, so I don't know why her mic is muted out. So, uh, once again, we are going to see what's going on, see what's going on so that we can get her back. Um, Let me have her call in. Hello? Oh, she just dropped. Oh, crap. Okay, we'll get her back in in a second. So um, we are constantly dealing with these stupid issues in regards to the system, but she has an excellent show in store for us today. And live radio is is, is spontaneous. You never know what's going to happen or what you're going to get. Um, so I'm texting her right now. And I know many of you are probably watching the um, African-American Museum dedication, which is just a phenomenal, phenomenal opportunity for us. I believe she's back now. Hello? Hi. Okay, there you go. Okay, we're here. We're back. We're on. We're good. (sighs) It's always something. Live radio, live television, painting live. Expect the unexpected. Well, um, how's everybody this Saturday? Um, I'm great. I hope you are too. Today is a really exceptional day. Um, As you know, it is the opening of the National African American Museum um, Cultural Museum. And I am really proud. I'm just really proud, you know? It's an amazing thing. This has been a long time in the making. It comes at a really important time in in history for us. Right now, there's so many things going on. You know, there's so much happening in our country today that's dividing us. And here we are today dedicating the National Museum of African American History and Culture, um, which is a dedication to us all, not just African Americans, but white Americans, Native Americans, because we're all part of each other's story. There's There's no doubt about that. It wasn't like each culture, each race was living in a bubble. We were all in the same place having different experiences, 
but we were all somehow in the same picture, in the same movie. Um, so I plan to go soon as I can, and I hope all of us go as soon as we can. I'm a little concerned about my emotional state when I get there, though, because I'm sure this is going to be very emotional. It's, it's kind of like we're being validated. Um, our story is finally being told in public. It can, you know, you can't deny the, the stories, the culture, the history. It's being acknowledged by our country who um, funded a big part in funding this museum with a lot of private donors. And you know our girl Oprah is on the top of that list. She put up, I think it was $23 million. That's a lot of cheddar. Oh, but thank you, Oprah, and thank you for everyone else. Thank you to everyone else who, who put in the time, the effort, the love, the people who donated their artifacts. Just amazing. Just an amazing situation. Um, and I hope this this does some healing for us um, as a country. Because there's a lot of crazy stuff happening, folks. It's just so discouraging. But that being said, I want to say, I really believe in synchronicity. I believe in synchronicity sometimes, like things coming together. And you end up with, an amazing thing you had not expected. So today's show, today's show was about, was going to be about something else. But I was on Facebook and a friend of, a friend on Facebook, Royal Sharif, I'm going to give you credit, posted a picture, which was very striking to me for some reason. And I, and I kind of commented that, wow, this is, this is interesting. And I, I saw this woman and I, I wanted to know more about who she was from this picture. Now, it was a picture probably from the 1930s. She has, you know, you know, those gorgeous suits they wear in the 1930s, but she had an armband on. And, you know, people wear armbands in commemoration of somebody who's died or, or a situation that's happening and they want to commemorate. But her armband had the silhouette, a black silhouette of a man in a noose, a black man in a noose. And I was like, okay, that is really kind of intriguing for a woman to wear, a woman of that era to wear. What is she saying? So I started to do a little research, and I found out who she was. And I was, I was surprised. Her name is Freddie Washington. Her full name is Frederica Carolyn Freddie Washington. She was an accomplished African-American actress, and she was one of the first to gain recognition for her work in film and stage. And she, um, we, 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 we kind of know who she is, but we don't really know who she is, who she is. She was in the movie Imitation of Life, and she played the black mulatto girl. Um, and I was like, wow, that 
that right there surprised me because I, you know, we've I've seen the movie. I'm sure you have seen the movie. If you if you haven't, get get the movie, see the movie somehow. Um, and it's about a mulatto black woman passing for white, and her mother is definitely a black woman. <laughs> no bones about it. But this is how she was choosing to live her life. Um, so I had I said, okay, let's go back and see where and see how we get to that place. So Miss Freddie Washington was born December twenty third in nineteen oh three in Savannah, Georgia. And her being born in nineteen oh three kind of leads me to believe that her parents had not been so far removed from slavery or and her grandparents definitely were not removed from slavery. And I was like, wow. And here comes one of those synchronistic moments. Um, she died June 28, 1994. Now, June 28 is my birthday. So, at, and she you know, she lived in, by that time, uh, Stanford, Connecticut. So I'm like, hmm, another synchronistic moment. Okay, so let's, let's move forward with this. Her parents were Robert T. Washington and Hattie Washington. So, sadly, her mother passed away when she was 11 years old. And, you know, it's pretty young to lose, your, lose a parent, especially your mother. Her father went on to remarry. He remarried twice. And she was the oldest of five, of five kids. And her grandmother raised her, and her name was Ella Brown. AKA Big Mama. All right. <laughs> so by the time he, um, well, anyway, she ended up uh, being sent off to, I guess, a, a convent school called St. Elizabeth's in Philadelphia. Um, so this institution took in African Americans and Native Americans and orphans. And I guess his, her father couldn't take care of her at the time, so that was probably the best thing um, that he felt that he could do to her. But anyway, once he got his life back in, in, in check and in swing, um, they moved to Harlem. And, she, and that was the time of the Renaissance, the Harlem Renaissance, which was an amazing time for blacks, for black culture. Many of the amazing artists, um, that are so that is such a big part of our culture came came out of that. So when she got to New York, she she went to um, Julia Richmond High School, and she was very studious. Um, but at the age of 16, she had to she had to she had to leave, she had to drop out and take care of you know get a job, help help with the family duties. So she got a job as a stock girl in a dress shop. And she did that for about a year, I guess. 
And then she went on to get another job um, as a bookkeeper. So, oh, this is the segue. She got a bookkeeping job at a record company called Black Swan. So this is how she segues into the entertainment industry. Now, she somehow gets a part in the musical Shuffle Along. Now that synchronicity again, I saw that. I saw the musical that was done on Broadway that just closed a few months ago or a month ago. It was an amazing, amazing show. Um, well, she was in that, in that show, and she was a chorus girl. And while she was a chorus dancer, she met Josephine Baker. Okay? It's amazing. How you, you know, you're just going to be in the show and meet Josephine Baker. Josephine Baker's going to look at you and say, girl, I'm going to be your mentor. Okay? So Josephine Baker became her mentor and friend and pulled her into a little dance group she had called the Honeysuckles. Okay? She just kind of flowed into different um, opportunities that came her way, which is pretty amazing. So through her association with Josephine Baker, she was cast in a, a, a theater production, a theatrical production called Black Boy, and she co-starred with Paul Robeson. This woman knew how to keep good company. She knew how to be in great company. Wow. Wow. And so next on, you know, I'm sure parts and opportunities were hard to come by. Um, And, by the way, Lee Schubert uh, cast her in the play with Paul Robeson. She knew how to keep good company, but not just good company. She was very talented. She had a great talent. So after Black Boy, like I said, parts are probably hard to come by. Opportunities are hard to come by. But she decided to go to Europe. And she toured as a dancer, and she had a dance partner. And they toured London, Germany, so many countries in Europe, and came uh, France. Um, as a, and she was a ballroom dancer. That's right. So here we are at 1934. She returned to the, to the United. Well, this is how we get to um, imitation of life. She returned to the United States in. Um, 1928, and she got small parts um, in various stage and screen productions. And then she gets this opportunity to play the part Piola in Imitation of Life. 
which I stated before, was the story of a mulatto girl, woman, who passes for white. Um, now, Ms. Ray Washington is very beautiful, fair skin, not just now that, but she's a beautiful woman in green eyes. Um, she did such an amazing job in this film. She was, she was actually nominated for an Academy Award. And that was huge to be nominated, period, for Academy Award if you were black. Well, she played this part so well that people actually believed that this is how she felt in her personal life, which was not the case. Miss Washington never, ever denied her African-American you know, racial connection or her culture or her people. And I guess my mom knew someone who was passing his life that she grew up with. Um, so anyway, in Hollywood, they saw her talent. They acknowledged her talent. And they wanted her to pass his wife. And she said, no, absolutely not. And they did this because there would be problem, problems with sponsors. There would be problems with, with people in general going to the box office. Even though she was a talented actress, they wanted her to be white. And she said, absolutely not. I would never deny my race. She had some other interesting things to say as well. Um, she also felt like she didn't understand this whole idea of white supremacy, and, and she said it was propaganda, that this was just foolishness and malarkey, and she would never bow down to anyone on those conditions. She was an activist. She was very committed to her people and to her self-identification and she would not stand for anything less. Now, there were, there were occasions where she did pass away. She uh, and Duke Ellington were an item, and she sang in the band, in his band. And the story goes that when they were in the South, you know, there was, of course, there was segregation. You couldn't get anything. You couldn't go. If there was no store for miles and miles, hundreds of miles, you just had to keep going because, you know, if the store said whites only, you just keep rolling. Like, okay, I'm not getting anything from there. But she would go in, purchase for Duke Ellington and the band, and come back to the bus and be like, all right, we good. I mean, those were times when she was like, look, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not trying to say, I'm white. She said, I'm just going to go in here, get what I got to get, and then we're going to go. But that's what, that's what you had to do those times. You know, it was about survival. It's about just accomplishing your goals and moving on. And if that was how she can move the situation on, then so be it. But her and Duke did not make, you know, 
did not survive as a couple because she figured out that this relationship wasn't going anywhere. So she married the trombone player in in the band. And that didn't last long <laughs> because they eventually divorced. But all that, that's just life, you know? That's just people being people. So she moved on with her life. She went on to start in the Emperor Jones in 1933. Uh, she starred in Black and Tan, 1929, and One Mile from Heaven in 1937. And she did build up a body of work and was actually, you know, known for her ability as an actress. As a result, Lena Horne came after her. And other actresses, Dorothy Dandridge, the ones we always think of when we think of black actresses during that time period. But to tell you the truth, Freddie Washington was a pioneer for those women and all the women who have come after her. Halle Berry, Carrie Washington. Miss Freddie came up at a time when it would have been easier for her to pass this life. It really would have. And in in the film One Mile from Heaven, she plays a a mulatto, you know, girl as well. But she never, ever bent to that pressure. And she commented, no matter how white I look, I'll always be black. Okay? She's like, don't get it twisted. I may look white, but I'm black. (laughs) And those are strong words. You know? Because at the time, and I think that is still on the book, if you had one drop of the one drop rule, if you had one drop of black blood, you were black. That was it. Hmm. The one drop rule. Wow. Anyway, um, at some point, Miss Washington, you know, continued her career as an actress, and she also. Not only was she she was an actress, but an activist. And she went on to be one of the founders of the Negroes Actors League from 1937 to 1938. And she was also um, involved in the Joint Actors' Equity 
theater leads of hotel accommodations for Negro actors throughout the U.S. So this was a really big problem. If you have to have an agency, a league for African-American, African-American hotel accommodations. And, you know, not some surprise, not like I didn't know it, but we couldn't, you know, we could work, we could entertain, but we couldn't sleep in the place, in the hotels that we performed in. You know, our accommodations, you know, we were headlining, we were selling out shows, people were coming in droves to see these African-American productions, but after the show, after all the clapping stopped, you would go back to some free, you know, free bag hotel or you would sleep in a bus or you would sleep wherever you could. And if you were lucky, folks, black folks would take you in and you could sleep in their homes. But wow, you know, for love of craft and to make a living and to do what you're good at, I guess we do what we have to do. We do what we have to do. Um, that being said, she also was a journalist and she wrote for a newspaper um, that was founded by Adam Clayton Powell, whom her sister was married to. These girls know how to keep good company. Mm-hmm. And she wrote for that newspaper for a while. Always, and it was a, you know, of course it was an African-American publication. And she went on to do um, television. She was on the Phil Donahue show, talking about race and her life as an African-American and having to pass for white during that time. And she made it her point to educate people about her pride in who she was, you know, that African Americans had a place in this society and that all this stuff that had been placed upon us was foolishness and she would never ever, if she could possibly never bow down to it. Well, anyway, Ms. Washington eventually married again to a doctor and she, he passed before she did and she died of pneumonia. It was a complication for a stroke in June 28, 1994, and she was 90 years old. 
90 years old. That is really, really awesome. Um, and she was always vocal and proud of who she was. And I think whether you are whatever color you are, whatever background you are, whatever ethnicity you are, you should be proud of who you are because, and it's not about pride and superiority are two different things, two entirely different things. We can be proud of who we are and we can um, acknowledge those who have come before us and think well of ourselves, but when we get to the area of superiority, and that's when that turns rogue to me. That's when that turns into something else because it's more ego-driven and it's more looking down on other people and stepping on other people because you feel superior and somebody else is inferior. I don't know, know, people. But um, I think this this feels like a synchronistic moment because I felt like she didn't want to be forgotten. And here it is, the day that the um, African American Museum is opening. I'm sure she's in that exhibit somewhere. I'm almost sure because Imitation of Life is an iconic film. And I'm sure she's in, she's somewhere in that museum. And when I go, I'm going to look for her. But I felt like when I first saw that picture, something pulled on me. And as I did more research and learned a little bit about her, I felt like she was saying, don't forget me. And I didn't want to forget her, and I don't want to forget her. Um, You know, some of the things that she stood up for in her career as an actress on on stage and on screen have benefited actresses today, all the actresses, her contemporaries and the ones who came after her. You know, because there are more opportunities for actresses. There are more people behind the scenes. There are more, there are Shonda Rhimes out there. There are, you know, the Carrie Washington. There are so many actors. Gabrielle Yee. There are so many names. I don't even have time for all the names that I can call out because of Miss Washington and her contemporaries. And they're talking about it's hard in Hollywood now. Whew. Back then, please, it was beyond hard. But she got starring roles. But we can't forget people, the actresses, the black actresses, who who, who got supporting roles. We didn't even get supporting roles. We just got walk-ons, you know, that, that were always playing butlers and and porters and, and you know, background musicians. But they worked. They were present. They were a part of this thing we call Hollywood, the film industry, the musical theater industry. They were a part of it. They are a part of that history. 
they are part of the growth of that industry. Big or small, they had parts. And I know some people look at um, actors and actresses who had to work in blackface or in in parts or shows that they felt were demeaning and didn't depict us in the right light. But guess what? They stood in the light and they were performers. And they did what they had to do because they loved what they did. They were talented. You know, maybe in the mainstream, that talent had to, you know, was dimmed a little bit. But guess what? When they could be out amongst their own, they showed off. Okay? They showed off. And we knew what great talents they were. But, you know, thank goodness for Galena Horn, the Freddie Washington, who showed what elegance we have, you know, what grace we had, the talent we had. He could make you cry. He couldn't stop looking at us. We had moves. We were fabulous chorus girls, choreographers. We were all that. And we've always been all that. And so, I, I, you know, before I got on air, I was looking at the dedication of the museum on C-SPAN, and I thought I'd be a little lighter about this, but I think I'm just a little emotional. Surprise! Because, you know, you think about the shoulders you stand on, the people who came here under duress, under, you know, such horrific conditions, lived under horrific conditions for centuries. That's, whew, and always saw a vision that things were going to be all right someday. You know, it's not perfect today, but it's way better than that. <laughs> and it'll continue to get better. And I think we're at a point where, you know, my mommy used to say, well, change is going to come, and that's it. It's time to change, it's time to change. I mean, it's a simple narrative, but it is what it is. And no matter what you want to do, Sometimes you can't stem the tide of change, you know. We're at a point where change is coming. And the the opening of this museum is such an incredible validation of our contribution to this country, you know. And there should be a big Native American, you know, museum of history and culture because they are people who definitely suffer. You know, they, are, they were the indigenous people of this country and have been so marginalized. Oh, it's, 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 it's not even it's beyond sad. But that being said, you know, this museum is a celebration. It's not just a celebration. You know, of course, it means a lot to African-American people. But it, it's the story of our country. And everybody's included. And I think I said this at a Black History Month assembly at my daughter's school when I had a moment to speak that uh, Black history is not just my story. It's your story, too. And as we continue to write this story, 
what, how will you shake out in this story? Will you be on the right side of this story, or will you not be on the right side? Will you be on the right, wrong side of this story? Because right now, I think that's being written today. You know, what side are some folks going to be on when history judges you later? And people look back and say, did they really think like that? That is barbaric. And just like we look back and say, that is barbaric. But anyway, um, like I said, I think um, this is, I do believe in synchronicity. And I don't think it's no accident that I came across Miss Frederica Carolyn Freddie Washington and the museum was opening today and my birthday is part of her story. Um, amazing. Before we close out, I'd like to wish our producer, Aurelia Lyles, a happy birthday that's coming up. It's the 27th of September, and um, I just want to say thank you so much for really being the the leader, the the light, the the wind, the everything for the Cocoa Express. You've done so much. You've created such a great um, opportunity for all of us who host shows on the Cocoa Express, um, for guests who come to the Cocoa Express on the various uh, shows that are part of the Cocoa Express, and um, people who get to listen to something different and interesting. It's been a lot of fun for me. I really appreciate the opportunity and um, what you created, and you've been a pioneer in this, and you know, have a great birthday. Do something fun. I hope it's fun. I hope it's a great day. And you spend it the way you want to. Anyway. Thank you. You're welcome. Anyway, um, I wish you all a great weekend, the rest of the weekend. And I am going to see you next month. And, you know, that's around Halloween. So I hope we can get my favorite Halloweenish guest, Steve Parker, he's, a, he's our intuitive, um, psychic guy who is always, I think he is fascinating, and he has such a wealth of information and knowledge, and he talks about all kinds of things, like UFOs and, and all, all that. He's got experience with that, and ooh, it's just cuckoo. I love it. It's bananas. Anyway, happy... Happy New Museum Day. All right, folks. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. For more content, visit us at thecocoexpressshow.com, Blog Talk Radio, and Facebook. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.